Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Revolt Podcast, where we talk about everything related to language learning. My name is Clayton, also known as George Pig, and I manage the community here at Revolt. Today, our guest is Alex, also known as Skypon. He's the admin of the Italian server, a contractor for Revolt, and a romance language polyglot. <clears throat> All right. And Alex, welcome. Thank you. <clears throat> so do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are, what your background is with languages, and what you do in the Refold community or what you have done? Sure. Um, my name is Alex. I'm 21, though. By the time this podcast videos um, come out, I'm probably already 22. Uh, my background with languages, I grew up in a pretty multicultural household. So I've always been around different languages, but I wasn't raised speaking another language natively besides English. Um, so there was always this attraction to learn more about other cultures and languages. Um, I would, uh, I'd say one of my early, earlier memories. Well, yeah, I think, uh, I went down the rabbit hole of YouTube polyglots and I was like, it's incredible how these people speak 13, speak 13 languages. And, you know, I wanted to be that. So I would download apps, uh, really not knowing what I was doing. I was probably 13 at the time. And uh, I would try to learn a few phrases. There was this one app, I, I don't even remember what it was called. It had really bad uh, UI. And it was, it was one of those apps where you would have to pay to unlock all the phrases, but you get like 20 basic phrases uh like may i have some water hello what is your name for like a bunch of different languages though um and that was really cool to me because you know i growing up in the u.s you don't even even though i'm from southern california which is quite multicultural um there are some ethnicities some languages that just really aren't represented here and the world's so diverse that just necessarily there's going to be less there's going to be less uh homogenous distribution of languages so anyways i i just seeing on this app like oh luxembourgish i wonder what the hell that sounds like um and then you know i'd have all these fantasies of learning different languages and not really getting very far but actually no now i'm remembering probably the first language i tried to learn um was korean because in middle school i had a lot of korean friends and uh you know they would speak korean to each other and i was like I want to learn Korean. So I learned uh, Hangul and that didn't take that long. And then I was trying to, to really get in there. And, and I, I remember I had this piece of paper where I just write down words and it, it just didn't amount to much. So those were the, the early days. Um, and then I took Japanese in high school because my school offered it. And I was like, that's cool. Um, at that time, I was less interested in Japanese culture even though it had been present in my life a lot already. I, I, a couple of my close friends growing up were Japanese. I did kendo when I was younger. So it, it was cool to finally actually learn a language in a classroom setting because that's the furthest I'd gotten because, okay, you have a textbook. Um, even if you get lazy, you know, the school, the, the class goes on. So you necessarily just learn something. And I was really, really into Japanese at the time because it was so different and and what and whatnot, but um, yeah. So after Japanese or, or in high school, I learned about AJAP and Matt, which is Japan, 
and then that culminated into to, and then integrating to the refold community. But before refold, I hadn't really been a part of any specific language learning community. Uh, when I was learning, I know we'll get to this later, but when I was learning Italian, which is the first language that I learned through immersion, that I learned from zero, um, that was very solitary in that I kind of, there weren't, I couldn't find many Italian learners who were doing the same thing I was. So I kind of was like, okay, I'm just going to block out all um, connection with the English language and and learner circles and just just watch native content kind of very hardcore, but it worked out. But now my opinions are different. So I don't know if that answered all those questions that you asked me, but that's a start. Okay. Well, actually, it was a good introduction, but it definitely, there are still some questions I want to ask. Oh, yeah, so, sure. um, you know, you mentioned that you grew up around multiple languages and like it's yeah. visible in your background you have an yeah, icelandic yeah. flag for example mm -hmm. um so you're sort of a heritage speaker of icelandic and spain spanish right yeah yeah uh it's it's more complicated than that my grandma is mexican um okay. but her, her ancestors are from spain originally they were spanish jews that got kicked out and then they immigrated to mexico and then they okay. retain their Jewish customs. But interestingly, my grandma, she's very, she's not Jewish. I mean, religiously, she doesn't practice Judaism. She's she's Seventh-day Adventist, I think. She's very religious though. Okay. Um, but yeah, so my mom also speaks sort of Mexican Spanish, but okay. um, I it's, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because she, my grandma would always speak it to me and I, um, I apparently I asked this um, to my mom recently. I'm like, when did I start speaking? Like, because originally, uh, recently my cousin came over with her baby, and it was so weird to see. I haven't seen a baby in so long, and you know, she was she was a little over. She was like 14 months, and she hadn't started speaking yet. And she's like, oh, you were pretty late to speak because you know you were learning Spanish. I was like, you just forgot to tell me that I was learning Spanish as a kid. She's like, oh yeah, you were originally bilingual. I have no recollection of that, obviously, but. But yeah, so I kind of early on, unfortunately, I, I didn't like Spanish much because, you know, my grandma was kind of a little overbearing. So I saw the Spanish languages tied to her. My mom never spoke it around me. Of course, she's a native. Both my parents are non-native speakers. My mom grew up here, but my dad is from Iceland. He moved to the U.S. Uh, when he was 12. He had um, not really speaking any English. He, he was in Canada uh, when he was 10. Um, his parents kind of dropped him off there with a uh, a family friend who lived there who was Icelandic. Um, but the kids didn't speak Icelandic and my dad had to do school and it was kind of a mess. But when, when they did immigrate when he was 12, they, they went to Seattle and he slowly learned English. And now he doesn't have an accent. And it's funny because um, I've gotten my dad, since I'm home now, uh, I've gotten him to speak more Icelandic with me because... I want to take advantage of this opportunity, but really he, he decided, oh, I don't need to teach him because he'll just learn Spanish and in French. Um, and I'll touch, touch on French in a second. Um, so he didn't speak it to me, but now he's speaking it more, but you know, in the past, I would just forget that he's Icelandic because he sounds completely American. I mean, maybe if he's really tired or, or drunk or something, he'll mix his V's and W's, but you know, it's, he's pretty indistinguishable. Um, but you know, when he's in Iceland, 
he looks and sounds Icelandic, but when he's in the U.S., he looks and sounds American. So it's interesting. I totally um, understand. Half my family is Canadian. Oh, and, okay. uh, quite a few of them moved to the States uh, when they were teenagers. Uh -huh. um, and I've got uncles and a sister, and so I've got a whole bunch of extended family who are Canadian. And uh, for a lot of them, they just sound American until they yeah. don't. Um, you know, they might accidentally use a Canadian vowel in an otherwise American sounding uh, sentence. I can think of one relative who uh, visited and, and he deletes the schwa on the word veteran. So he says veteran. Mm -hmm. um, or I have one uncle who uh, is from Canada, stays in Canada, occasionally comes to visit. And uh, I can recall that being one of my first times realizing, oh, these they're, they're definitely not American. Uh, he mm -hmm. was telling me about his goat pill. <laughs> I listened to his story about his goat pill. And at the end of it, I'm, I'm still confused. I'm like, but you're, you're here in the States. You didn't bring your goat with you. And um, my Canadian relatives looked at me like I was stupid and said his gout pill. He's talking about his gout pill for his toe. Um, because of the, the difference in vowels. And it's very easy oh, to forget yeah. that your that your relatives who were raised abroad and, and immigrated to the States uh, are not American after they've been there for 20 years, you know, not yeah. originally American. So it's yeah. always a shock. And my dad definitely speaks English better than Icelandic. But one thing that I, I am happy about, it's, you know, of course, I've lectured both my parents at length on immersion-based me methodology and I've shared my ideas on language with them to my mom that just goes right over her head um but with my dad i mean he's like this makes a lot of sense that's how i learned english because you you can't surround yourself really with icelanders there's not many ethnic enclaves like that though in seattle there are lots of scandinavians but um and there's, at university i think there's like gimli in canada there's like a uh -huh. little bitty tiny enclave somewhere in canada probably called gimli. Yes. probably uh, yeah um, but, but you know i mean he he was thrown Icelandic the... would be a great language to do immersion in, actually. They have one of the highest number of authors per capita of yes, any language. That's true. I think this statistic very literate. Yeah, is one in ten people become write a book or um, become authors. Um, yeah, it's very literate. Um, the the literary roots run deep, of course. Uh, you can read the sagas without too much effort i mean you have to be like college educated and it's a bit of a stretch but um just that that capability is i think pretty unique because the language hasn't changed much compared to the other scandinavian languages norwegian and swedish have modernized a lot more and icelandic is is kind of since it's been isolated for so long has really kept kind of that old flavor so yeah it's interesting yeah, I think they also underwent a linguistic revival in like the 1700s. Mm. Um, I think they purged a lot of Danish loan words. So <laughs> I've actually heard that it's easier to understand stuff from 1000 AD than it is to understand stuff from like 1500 uh, yeah, because of the, the, the Danish influence that was later purged. Little unknown yeah. facts or little known fact about <laughs> Icelandic. Cool. Um, uh, Danish, though, is taught in schools, um, but it's like Spanish kind of in the U.S. where, you know, not everyone's going to take it seriously, but everyone has some sort of basic understanding, along with English, of course. But, but yeah. Now, going to your languages, uh, 
you learn Japanese traditionally, and I think you even maybe went to Japan back when you were still a trad build uh, learner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, that was a school trip. Yeah. It was a school trip. How long were you there? Not very long. It was less than two weeks, maybe ten days. So you, we didn't okay. even fully adjust to the the time difference. <laughs> gotcha. And then you sort of i met you originally because you were a contractor for refold mm -hmm. you yes. had uh learned a whole bunch of italian and you were one of the sort of the lead non-natives helping with the italian deck which finally mm -hmm. got released uh, yes. a month or two ago after mm -hmm. like a year in limbo yes, um, and that was sort of your first time actually like really learning a language the refold way mm -hmm. um and do you want to talk a little bit about that? So like you mentioned, like now you're a mod on the Italian server. Mm -hmm. It's still pretty quiet there, not a whole bunch of learners. Um, but you went from sort of age adding Italian, not having any social things outside yeah. of Italian. All you did was Italian. And now you sort of like, you're social, you're a part of the, the refold community, you're a mod, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. you, uh, have done work for refold and you've also sort of be kind of you've got the uh the dabble itis you sort yeah, of have been hopping like around you, you you've kind of unfulfilled after getting good at italian exactly. uh, so do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah there's lots to talk about um okay so the difference between traditional learning and refold learning um i don't see Though I learned Japanese traditionally, I was less traditional than other people because I had discovered AJAT. Though I didn't fully get it, I hadn't read the full table of contents, it somehow didn't click until later, until after I'd graduated and decided, you know, I actually want to do something with my time. I, I really want to get um, fluent in a language. So then I went ahead and read it. But even though I was learning through textbook, learning Japanese through textbooks, um, I was, I was on this one discord server that was like a, a learner server, but there were high level learners. So I would kind of like, kind of just lurk, lurk there and, and read, uh, the, the messages in the Japanese only, uh, channel. So I had some exposure to the real language. Um, and it is really interesting how Japanese textbooks, especially since it's a different language, since there are certain words and grammar patterns that are difficult to translate maybe even impossible to translate into English directly. They don't have an equivalent. Uh, they kind of just sweep it under the rug. They ignore it um, as if it wasn't there. But then of course you listen to real Japanese or you read real Japanese and you encounter these words and, and then people blame themselves and all this stuff. But yeah, learning, I, I wouldn't recommend how I, again, my ideas have changed, like I said, I wouldn't really recommend going about learning a language like I did with Italian. I just graduated high school. Um, I just came back from a trip from Italy. Um, that was my first time ever going. And I really liked it. And and I, I really, there was this strong intrinsic motivation because there was nothing external, no external factors were really influencing my motivation. Uh, I don't know any Italians. It's really actually difficult to find Italians on the West Coast of North America. I go to school in Canada and still there's there's like none there. The Italian department is one professor who's from like some random place in the center of Italy. Um, and there's like no no natives. So it's like 
it was just it really it started as an experiment it was like okay let's see if these principles that i learned from this one blog um work and and i and i had a hunch that they would work because really to fully subscribe to that mentality you have to it's like an act of faith you have to really believe in okay this is going to work um and i think one of the main uh phrases or or, or you know if you will kind of ideas that helped me get through it was this idea of see and do not wait and see so instead of okay let's see if i if i mess around a little let's see how good i get it was more like okay no i'm gonna put down this amount of time um for this summer i really didn't have much to do because i didn't have um like assigned reading or any assignments because i was going to a new school i was going to university um so i just decided let's just see what happens if i make almost all of my time watching Italian. And um, I didn't even, excuse me, I didn't even um, do any sort of grammar study. I just kind of jumped in. And uh, yeah, it was pretty, I, it's hard for me to talk about this because this was already four years ago. Um, so I've, I've forgotten a lot of these things. I think once we get to a certain point in a language, our brain forgets what it was like to um, to be in those beginner I stages. You've been at Italian for four years. Yeah, yeah. But I would okay. say the first two years were the the really intensive periods. And then I took a whole year break. And then this last year I've been, you know, I one month on, one month one month off. Recently I got the experience, the opportunity rather, to use my Italian, which uh that hadn't really happened in the past. There were a few odd experiences and it didn't all go super well, but not because I was necessarily tripping up on my words. One of them was actually in Iceland. I guess I'll just tell this really quick. This is a short version. I don't want to get too distracted because I'm already um, getting off topic. But we, my family and I went to this uh, Italian restaurant. The waiter was Italian. And I was very excited to, to use Italian because this was like at the tail end of this really intensive period that I was learning Italian. And yeah, I started speaking Italian to him. And I kind of, it didn't click immediately, but he didn't, I could tell he was like not wanting to speak Italian. And then I was asking him in Italian, like, oh, why why did you decide to come to Iceland? Um, and then the first thing he, he asked me, he's like, oh, do I have to, do you want me to respond in Italian or English? I'm like, uh, Italian. And then he just goes on this long rant about how his life growing up was hell. And he's from some small village in the north of Italy. And his he lived with his grandma, who is super, um, she wouldn't like let him have friends over and Anyways, he was just saying all this stuff, and I was like, there, I was like, oh, uh, I'm sorry, and I, I kind of didn't know what to say. So it was a, an odd situation, and, you know, there wasn't really any, like, um, any any times of, like, oh, I, I made a friend in college who's Italian and who speaks it, and then, you know, when we hang out, we can just speak it. It wasn't like that. It was like I would have to seek out people, and I wasn't really into the whole... Um, well, I guess I could have done italki, but in my mind, I kind of had this idea, no, I want to be pure. I have to talk to natives who don't treat me as a learner, and I just want to try to infiltrate the ranks of uh, Italian natives. So I didn't want to, like, lurk on Discord uh, voice chats, and it was too much for me. I, I'm still shy, and that's why this method works well for me. Um, but yeah, uh, 
There was a lot more that and I then, wanted to say from the earlier question. But. You, you sort of had a big moment recently. I think some yes, of your family yes. might have hosted an Italian family, mm -hmm. and you had uh, some opportunities to actually exactly sort of output with friends. You're not not a random service worker. You're not not yeah. hunting people down in the streets. So how did that go? Sort of sure. after that four went, years of that went just really well. going all Italian. That went really well. So um, I guess I haven't touched on this, but I have family in France because my uncle married a French woman. They had two kids and through them, we were pretty close to that side of the family, even though I, I guess not necessarily blood, blood related to everyone. Um, but so we, we go to France very often. So French has always been a presence. So anyways, I'm learning French now, but I took a break from French. Yeah, this month, kind of in the middle this month, I guess the 15th or so around there. And um, my cousin, my mom's cousin, so I don't know what that makes me to him, but um, they're hosting a- that an makes you family. a cousin as well. It makes a cousin, okay. Mm -hmm. So my cousin- I think also, that's how it goes. Okay, <laughs> I just get confused with these things. Uh, yeah, they hosted these people. It's I'm still not clear on how they met the- the um the father was so it's it's a family of they have a daughter this this these white husband and wife and uh, she's more or less my age she's 19. um but i think the, the the father was related to was um gonna become a pastor but then he quit the church and he left the church and uh then then he moved to to the, the U.S. somehow. I'm still kind of foggy on the specifics, but anyways, I had this opportunity to speak with them, and of course, I was quite a little nervous in the beginning because I really haven't practiced much output. Not even not even just spoken. It's like I I haven't like written to many people, and I think the problem is because I actually prefer speaking uh, just in general. So, um, and since I don't know any people IRL, it's, it's hard. So okay. Uh, but it was pretty good. It was kind of mentally taxing because it was like six, seven hours of speaking. I mean, not directly. And there was English mixed in because my my cousins, uh, my mom's cousins, sons, they're they're native Spanish speakers, but they don't really speak Italian, of course. So like I it would be like me and her having a conversation and then we would have then we would speak in English to, to them for a while. And, and whatnot but i think um i already kind of knew that one of my blind spots was small talk but i did a lot better than i thought um yeah it was it was a really positive experience i think afterwards um i think it really warmed me up it showed that okay i am capable of actually speaking the language pretty comfortably and i did take like two and a half days of pretty intensive immersion before just to prepare me and that was that was like the right amount of time to to prepare but I think after they left, I was like, man, I wish I had more people to speak with because it's weird. It's like, okay, for two years, you're really intensive just watching things. And then then it's not really a part of your life. And then just one day, these people pop into your life and then you're only speaking this language. So it's it's a little odd. I would like to go back to Italy. That, yeah, so going back to Italy would be awesome. But, yeah, cool. um, you know, uh, Right now you're you're in the states and then you go to school in canada so mm -hmm. you know trips to italy are probably not going to be frequent or very mm -hmm. long have you ever thought about you know doing something like mm -hmm. uh not not high talky but uh like one of the language exchanges like hello talk or something have you yeah. ever considered doing that mm 
Mm. So recently, I more or less recently, about two two months or so ago, I got Tandem, and that app's quite good. Um, if if you find the right people, a lot, a lot of people don't take it seriously. There's this whole thing with flirting. Luckily, I haven't. There hasn't been too much of that in my experience. But yeah, I um, I, I crosstalk for me was a huge revelation. And for people who don't know what that is, that's basically where um, you have a native speaker of your target language, and they're speaking to you in in their native language, which is your target language, and vice versa. So you're speaking English to them. This is granted they're learning English or already at a high level of English and are just helping you out. Um, Crosstalk has been really great for me. Um, I also, I didn't touch on this, but I've kind of moved around all the different romance languages except Portuguese. Um, so I went back not that long ago and, and did Spanish for three months. And then I was like, okay, this is, I feel like I'm at a decent level. Cause really once you speak one romance language, the other ones become very accessible. And uh, and then 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 it was French, and then now I'm trying to further it. But also, I picked up some Catalan, um, and doing crosstalk with that language has been really great. Because as an experiment, I'm trying to distance myself from the written language as much as possible, and really just hone in on my listening. And uh, it's been fun. Um, even, almost day one, I was able to crosstalk. Uh, it was still pretty mentally taxing. There were still some holes in my vocab, but I can fall, I could follow like a conversation where I could have a conversation. Um, I haven't tried it for Italian yet, um, because I would, I'd rather, well, I would want to speak Italian. Um, I'd probably start with voice messages or some, or just texting, but, but yeah, that's definitely something I see myself doing in the future. Uh, and then maybe even yeah. working with the teacher to work on some specifics probably. And I assume most of the Catalan speakers are from Spain. Yeah. I, okay. No, I haven't met any outside of Spain. Um, different parts of Spain. Uh, yeah, you know, it, there's a very uh, obscure dialect of Catalan spoken in Sardinia, if yes, you're not aware. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think there are there are some recordings on YouTube um, of people speaking it, but they have a very thick Sardinian influence. You know, you can tell that it's sort of not their main language anymore. But yeah. uh, <laughs> That's really cool. You know, I, I, I talked about this in the last episode. The language policy of Spain has been very good to its mm -hmm. regional languages, mm -hmm. all said and done. Yeah. You know, um, Catalan and Basque yes. and Galician. These languages are in very good positions compared to some of the regional languages in, in like, France. say, France. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. All it's right. too bad. And, uh, yeah, in addition to sort of becoming a romance polyglot, you know, sort of collecting them all. You've recently expressed interest, I think, in Czech and Hungarian. <laughs> so do you want to talk about those? So you sort of have like a wide net. You've you've done a bit of Japanese, but you've done a bit of Korean. Uh, you've taken the romance languages pretty far. <laughs> and now you've started sort of, you know, experimenting with these Central and Eastern European languages. What's that like? <laughs> It's very different, and that's kind of the point. Um, that's what I'm looking for. Um, I think I almost wish that um, I think people tend to think highly of, oh, yeah, you speak all the different romance languages. That's cool. 
I mean, originally I, I wanted to speak one, maybe two and not touch any other, but how things turned out, I, I ended up wanting for, for more or less practical reasons to learn other ones. You know, it's like, okay, my mom's a native Spanish speaker. Catalan has always sounded cool to me. I might even want to spend some time in Spain. I mean, my mom and I are, oh, sorry, we, I haven't mentioned this. My mom and I are working on getting our Spanish citizenship through this, uh, through this heritage. Um, because they were the Spanish government and Portuguese government were offering um, citizenship for the people they wronged back in the late 1400s. So, 1492, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my God, I totally forgot the question. Sorry. Uh, the question was how has it been going oh, yes. from I remember, I remember uh, a romance language to some of these other languages? Because, yes. like you mentioned, once you learn one romance language, you kind of get them free not really but kind of a lot it's of the like, grammar it's like a similar. month or two it's one to three months of immersion and then you more or less get it um it's funny because going from so i learned i i tried french right after italian well first going to france of course i didn't go to france over covid um that was the first time i hadn't gone to france for a summer so going from going to france and not knowing any italian then going to France and knowing Italian, I was like, whoa, I understand a lot, like a lot more than I thought. The, the vocab is very similar between those two. But with Spanish, it's slightly more distant in terms of vocab. The grammar is really, it's like identical. But yeah, after, because at first I was like, okay, I'll do Spanish because that'll be different enough. And then, then I got to, to Spanish and Portuguese. Um, yeah. They're very peripheral. So like Catalan. French, Italian, they all shared a lot of the same innovations, like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's comer in, in Spanish and Portuguese, but it's some variant of banjar mm -hmm. in, you know, those exactly. more central languages. So, exactly. yeah, I totally so that's, understand. That's that. why I was uh, kind of interested. I was like, oh, Spanish is going to do it for me. And then I was like, no, it's it wasn't different enough. So I've been kind of searching. The point is I've been searching for um, my I next Portuguese. Portuguese is really cool, language. but I enjoy um, how it sounds, the nasal vowels and diphthongs. And uh, I have a, a, a thing for some of the content. It's very unique, you know, mm -hmm. watching someone in Amazonas do something right, right, or right. watching somebody in Angola or Mozambique. It's very interesting because at the end of the day, I kind of get bored of the, the same old. Um, this is a modern urban city and, you know, right, the, right. the sort of the content is it, at the end of the day, it's not super divergent, but watching someone in Mozambique hunt jungle rats for food. It's very different. And very different. Um, I highly recommend the channel Patria Minha if you're learning Portuguese. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, he's an African gentleman who has some very unique content. But yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's really cool. And what's the comparison been making that switch from these languages that do share a lot of grammar, that do share a lot of vocab, mm -hmm. to something like Czech despite being Indo-European is very different from the Western European languages or something like mm -hmm. Hungarian, which is not Indo-European at all. Mm -hmm. So um, in one sense, it's very refreshing for to, to have a lack of cognates because um, it's like in my mind, after having kind of gone through the romance languages, it's like, oh, does every language have gender? Does every language have some a lot of similar vocab? And it's of course no. So this has been an attempt really for me to remind myself of how diverse linguistically the world is. 
um, even within certain continents, of course, I mean, like, like, uh, Finno, Ugric, like the, that whole language group is very different than the Romance languages. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a bit jarring at first, not having really any words for free. Uh, that's, it's kind of, I, I can't complain because it's more or less what I'm looking for. Um, but it makes it a lot harder to get your foot in the door. And the problem with these sort of smaller language, okay, smaller in a general sense, is that um, there's not that much content necessarily, um, at least beginner content. You have some textbooks, um, but they're of varying quality and different you YouTubers. You don't have that sort of CI to no. native Just, content pipeline exactly. that you get with some of the, the other languages. Yeah, but... It, Interestingly, even though Italian is quite large, it has like little, I think no CI, no true comprehensible input where it's very basic and dumb, not dumbed down, I shouldn't use that word, but very clear, very simple language where people are pointing to things or. But there is some simplified Italian out there. They're great. In maybe I haven't looked for it, um, but. No, they, they, the... they exist. Okay, good. I've looked at That's them. That's good. That reassures uh, me. But there's not as much as there should be in my opinion. Czech I got interested oh, yeah. in, actually for the reason I was browsing the comprehensible input wiki. I was like, you know, if I want, um, if I want to learn another language, I want CI to be a, a big component of it because I was getting, you know, I, I heard about dreaming Spanish, even though when I was doing Spanish, I was like dreaming Spanish, oh, but whatever, I'm just gonna do things my way. Um, but that sort of worked out because, you know, I, I knew a couple of Romance languages. But, but now I, then I went back and I was like, I think there's something here. I think it, I think there's something to be said that if you can watch a video where there's all the words are unknowns, but you can communicate meaning just by gestures, just by tone of voice, by pictures, I think that's really incredible. And um, it, it's been interesting talking to people um, in the Refold community and other communities who have learned languages, who have gone all the way with languages uh, like this, specifically for Thai. Because there's, of course, lots of CI for Thai. Um, right. What's his name? Dan Brown, the ALG guy, sort of. Yeah, Marvin yeah. J. Brown. Yeah. Marvin Marvin J. Brown, that's right. Yeah. I think Daniel Brown, Dan Brown is, is he an author? Maybe, I think yeah, I, I grabbed the wrong name from the hat. No, um, yeah, Marvin J. Brown, you're right. So the I saw that on the Comprehensible Input Wiki. Um, it's, a, it's a wiki. And there's a bunch of languages. And despite there being lots of languages listed again um some people add kind of channels that aren't true ci or or if there is ci it's of varying quality but i saw that there was one for czech and i was like oh that's interesting czech has always kind of interested me um because it's slavic but it's western slavic and that sounds kind of to me smoother and it fits my sensibilities more maybe and so i watched some of those videos but i was like Still, this is, I don't know a single word. It's still too incomprehensible. So I, I'd gone like two days trying to cram uh, these these videos um, and it didn't really work. Interesting, I even made Reddit posts of, oh, does anyone want to do this language exchange and stuff? And it's funny because months later, probably early May or even late April, so a couple people responded finally. And it's like, this is just, after I got out of the check phase, but whatever, I decided to to do one of these as an experiment. 
one of these guys, he was trying to practice his English more speaking because he has he's in a class and probably high school or something. And um, yeah, I was helping him with the speaking. But we went on Minecraft and did some comprehensible input. And he, he, you know, he showed me lots of vocab, lots of words. And it was very educational, and but also very intensive. It was like, I, I realized that, um, I realize now that there's a hard limit on how much um, kind of input in new languages you can do in a day, because there's so much your brain is trying to process in terms of grammar structures and and even even new words they just don't stick as well as 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 they should um so yeah you really have to take it slow and that's what i'm finding with hungarian so that's czech and i kind of moved on but hungarian too has been is interesting i've really just started dabbling in it recently i'm not even sure if i'll continue but it's i don't know what to say about it it's uh i think it my hunch is that it's quite linguistically rich it's cool to learn a language that's even more isolated, even less related to other languages around it. It kind of decreases the utility of it, but utility has never been a major uh, motivator for me necessarily. I mean, I didn't have a reason to learn Italian. It's but, always yeah. fun to choose a language um, that people cannot read a page and, and get the gist, yes. you know? Yeah. Uh, if you show an English speaker very simple Dutch sentence or a very simple mm -hmm. French sentence, they're going to understand probably a decent amount. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if you show them something in, you know, Indonesian or Swahili, they're not going to have that. And it's always a sort of a fun experience, sort of, a, uh, mm -hmm. I, I call it understanding Klingon, you know, yeah. because it's sort of just, you know, it's like you wouldn't, I don't know, it, it's a very fun feeling. And uh, mm -hmm. I understand what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it does feel very alien in a good way. But recently, um, again, I've only been at it for maybe a week, a week and a half, maybe two. Um, it's starting to feel less weird. It's starting to feel more like a language. And I think the benefit of Hungarian is that it seems to me, to my ear, it feels clearer than other languages where, like, if I listen to Cantonese, for instance, I really can't pick out much. Like the something, not just the tones, but something about the the combination of vowels and consonants just isn't super clear to my ear because it's quite different than what I'm used to. But with Hungarian, it feels like there's a similar vowel consonant pattern um, with other languages that I'm familiar with, but it's just that the words themselves don't carry meaning for me yet because I they're so different. Um, I know what you're talking about. The word forms feel stickier. They feel like words, whereas... In, in some languages, um, the way their words are made up can feel like nonsense syllables, and it can be hard to sort of get that scaffolding into your brain. Totally, totally. It's all very subjective, not scientific, but I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, how regular is Hungarian? So one thing I have noticed is that agglutinative languages tend to be uh, fairly regular. They're not always, you know. I, I think some languages throw that out the window, but... Uh, one of the cool things about learning a language like Turkish or something where there's a lot of regularity mm -hmm. is that once you master it, you're good. You can apply that across all forms. Uh, and I'm not sure how Hungarian fits into that. I actually know surprisingly little about Hungarian. Mm -hmm. Well, so do I. I don't know much about Hungarian. Um, I, I'm not totally sure. I'm, I think it's pretty regular. The, the, 
what I have learned in terms of case endings and uh, prefixes, affixes seem to be across the board pretty regular. I haven't seen, well, again, I'm not familiar with, with what's regular and what would then be irregular, but it feels very logical, I have to say. There's lots of, okay, this word, this long word is just this prefix plus this ending. Oh, and then it's made up of two words. It's very logical. But one thing, I guess the main intrigue for me with Hungarian is the etymology. Having, you really get the, it's almost a similar feeling with Icelandic, where even though there's lots of actually Slavic cognates, um, and some Estonian Finnish cognates, I've ran into a couple, but I don't know much about those languages. Um, it's still pretty, dis they're still pretty distant. Um, the, the etymology feels very folkloric. It feels very unique. Um, like I, I like to use the example of how rainbow, uh, you know, in, in English and romance languages, it's like an arc, something, it's some saint's arc or it's some arc in the sky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and bow is just like the native English for arch, essentially, right? Like a bow exactly. it's an arch. Yeah, arch is the word in here, so I forgot it. Um, but in Hungarian, it's like, it's. I, I think the etymology is that it has the word to suck in it, as in like a, a straw, to suck through a straw. And the idea is that the gods, when they descend to earth, or the gods use a rainbow as a straw to extract water from the earth. And it's like, that's that's cool that there's like a story. There's more of a story behind the words. Um, etymologies really attracted me in English too. Uh, I think learning Italian gives you lots of, um, it shows you how Latinate English can be. Um, and it makes you sound fancier in English when really in, in reality, it's just like laziness. Like I, for a long time, I could not use the word ameliorate just because it was closer to the Italian migliorare, which is to get better. And I just, I don't know. I'd, it's, I feel like the Latinate um, words in English are more direct, they're more concise. And I like that, but also I don't like that they necessarily have a kind of lofty sound. Um, but also, so what I'm trying to say is that learning the Romance languages made me realize how English was very Germanic. Um, in it, that sense. It's it's interesting that you mention uh, speaking a Romance language it causes you to use more Romance vocabulary um, mm -hmm. because I think this is actually yeah I think that there's something to it I feel like there have been studies done that show that shared pools of vocab are just easier to grab at mm -hmm. you know if um, the word survive is in Spanish English and French right survive mm -hmm. sobrevivir um, and uh, one interesting thing is the use of Spanish words in Filipino has mm -hmm. actually gone up since English literacy and English ability has gone up because mm -hmm. it's very easy to mm -hmm. um, Hispanicize a, a Latinate word in English and bam, you've got the Spanish, which sort of flows better in Filipino. It sounds more mm -hmm. natural than having an English loan word. Um, and I've heard similar things about Maltese as well with um, with its sort of Italian words. So for some reason, we have like a shared pool of vocab. It's just easier when the words are the same or similar, I think, to grasp at. Totally. But it's it's interesting. My point is that um, being completely on one side of, okay, I'm, 
drenched in the romance you're immersed in the romance languages and then you go to english which my you're in my native language which is a mix of a lot of things and uh then you feel very germanic outside of the vote yeah i think i yeah, think yeah. our our phrasal verbs totally. um hanging prepositions like where are you at you know putting yeah. preposition at the end which would be totally for verboten yeah. in uh -huh. spanish or something uh I really feel like the romance stuff is very surface level. Like it's mm -hmm. mostly lexical. I feel like yeah. the grammar is very similar to like what you would expect from like a Nordic language, like Swedish totally. or Norwegian or uh, Dutch. Yeah. Um, you know, because in, in those Germanic languages, we tend to have those phrasal or separable verbs, you know, mm -hmm. like get up, get out, um, stand up. Recently and, with uh, some people. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, they just tend not be not be things in other languages, you know, yeah. uh, like Filipino, for example, <clears throat> has very specific words. There's a verb that specifically means to stare out a window. So in right. English, you would say, I'm going to stare out a window. But uh, in Filipino, you can literally just say this word, Dumongao, which means to look out a window. <laughs> like mm -hmm. that's the whole word baked yeah. into one, you know, they tend to have very yeah. specific words, whereas English, we have these sort of phrases, I think. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's interesting how in essay writing there's because oh, i go to school for english english literature uh and in essays usually phrasal verbs are kind of supposed to be avoided um it's not that there's any written rule about it but they just they sound clunkier in an academic setting um, yeah, it's like a style guide yeah exactly but yeah no it's interesting because only recently you know, the more you spend time with other languages, the more you kind of get to better understand your your own native language through contrast. Because if you're they call that metalinguistic awareness. <laughs> I like the word. Um, yeah, like I I had only recently kind of grasped how odd phrasal phrasal verbs are, especially with with people in the community. Uh, there's a user Looney Tunes, is Brazilian, and his English is quite good, and we were to another user scott and i were talking to him about phrasal verbs and we found this blog of, of these weird phrasal verbs and and it was really registering for the first time like man english would be a pain in the ass to learn if i wasn't native because a lot of things just don't make sense like one that i just thought it was uh keep out as a, as in like a warning on the signs like i don't know uh or hold on i think that's a that's a pretty classic there's just so many and yeah, like you said, with prepositions, it's like it would be too difficult to to assign meaning. It's like, OK, this is what this preposition means. And then you'd see it in a bunch of different contexts and you're like, you know, but but other languages have this. Uh, Japanese has lots of weird grammar. Things. I shouldn't talk too much about Japanese because I really am not that good at it. But there's a lot in Japanese that they're like kakeru uh, is like used with lots of, it's a verb used with lots of different nouns and it means different things depending on the street. You would translate it as meaning different things in English, but in, in Japanese, it represents one idea. So I don't know, there's so much to appreciate about language. That's why I like it so much. Yeah. Um, a lot of things that we unfortunately take for granted can be quite rare. I think uh, cross-linguistically, English for sure has a lot, you know, um, 
I'm sure with Hungarian, it's probably your first language. Well, I guess Icelandic doesn't have articles, but like, I don't think Hungarian probably but they has do. Like a They're at the that. end of of words, though. Okay, so Hungarian does have them. Hungarian, uh, yeah. Sorry, I was talking about Icelandic there, but Hungarian okay. definitely does have articles. Yeah. Okay. I think it's only one um, though, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Usually, languages will have the definite article and not have the indefinite article. That's sort of the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. um, it's like languages, like I think, like the Celtic languages, um, Arabic, they have a word for the, right? Like Al. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually they also get an indefinite article, but some languages break the mold. I think Turkish mm -hmm. has an indefinite article and doesn't have a definite article, but there's just a whole bunch, you know, um, Filipino does not have gender pronouns at all, right? Mm -hmm. So like, it's the same word for he and she, um, yeah. which coming from English, you know, used to that yeah and um you know i think in like the the six years that i've spoken filipino mm -hmm. i've only had one time where i was listening to a story and i was confused about the gender yeah. one time and mm -hmm. it's very rare that it happens because there are other mm -hmm. other ways you can tell who's doing what to whom um totally. but um, yeah it makes for some it's fun it's always fun to sort of get a wider scope you know, when mm -hmm. we talk about genders, uh, Swahili has, for example, like 15 noun classes. So like how, you know, Romance languages have animate, or sorry, they have male, masculine, feminine, and sometimes neuter, yeah. um, like Romanian. It has way more, you know, like noun classes can be quite, quite out there. There's a famous book on uh, noun classes in an Australian language called fire women and other dangerous things and that's one gender for them uh <laughs> it incorporates women fire and other dangerous things and that's one noun class so that's great nice speakers divide up the world in various ways yeah that's that's what this is about really language is a way to to see the world and and i think that's why it's so liberating to learn another language to a high level it's because you have a different way to express meaning and and your your place in, in in the world too, but it's really and and on that topic, um, the Romance language. I've heard of people, and I and I would agree with the statement that the Romance languages feel like extensions of one another. Maybe with French kind of being an exception. I mean, in my mind, um, maybe Romanian kind of different. Yeah, Romanian too. too. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting about Romanian. But um, like especially Spanish and Catalan. Like I think they're, I mean. In the day to day, they're they're always mixed in. And uh, granted, if the person you're talking to speaks both, you know, then people will switch back and forth, depending on the context and whatever. Um, and they feel like an extension of one another, and it doesn't feel nothing feels separate. But also, even even though I you know I don't speak super great Japanese or Icelandic necessarily, um, in my mind it's like it's 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 difficult. It's I wouldn't say I. I wouldn't say many people like divide up, okay, this is this language, this is that language. It's more or less just meaning because especially when I'm speaking English, sometimes there'll be a phrase that comes to me in Italian and now French. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll be like, oh, I can't say that. But my brain figured out, oh, this is the best phrase to say in this situation. But then later, consciously, I have to be like, oh, wait, I'm in this language. I'm not allowed to use that. So there's that too. Mm -hmm. And that actually, I read uh, something on the front page of the linguistics subreddit recently. This is we've got one pool of vocab, mm -hmm. and um, it's a shared pool, and the brain has to consciously 
deselect all of the vocab that's not appropriate for a specific situation. Mm, interesting. Uh, notice I said situation, not language, because there are some situations mm. like Welsh or Filipino or Spanglish, you know, in like Miami or something, where mm. there tend to be highly bilingual speakers, where it is appropriate for them to randomly use a Spanish word in an English yeah. sentence or vice versa. And uh, yeah, apparently it's a skill. Um, the, the gist that I got from that was that we're really good at doing it for our L1 and for our L2s, it's shaky. It's mm -hmm. harder to, to not pull the wrong word with an L2. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So it's very interesting with, with Catalan. I feel like, uh, I definitely feel like it's closer in a lot of ways to like the languages northeast of Spain. You know, I, I feel like it very smoothly transitions into yeah. like uh, like Gascon and, oh. um, you know, Occitan and, and stuff like that. Um, and I've, I've actually heard that written Catalan and written French are very mutually intelligible. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I've heard that somebody could probably do quite fine working through like a Catalan text if they're say from, you know, they're from France. Um, I don't know how true that is, but I, I'd I say I, it's I've pretty heard. true. The, the spelling looks, uh, again, I really haven't almost read anything in Catalan. That's that's this experiment. But There's I'm pretty a sure... lot to read in Catalan. There is I almost got bitten by the Catalan bug. And there's <laughs> so much to read. I know you're avoiding it because you want to focus on the spoken language, mm -hmm. but like they've got like, no, and, and like there's so much like literature in Catalan mm -hmm. for like a language of totally. six million people, totally, totally. maybe. Uh, it's um is it nine million? It's actually quite large. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, just a I, lot in Catalan. Yeah, uh they do use X, which is quite weird. Um uh so I don't know how a French speaker would react to that, but generally the the the, the cognates that are usually across that you'd see the related words across romance languages tend to be closer to French spelling. So that's why they're probably more easily. Right. It's sort of like in, you know, in Portuguese and Spanish, you've got manzana, manzana. And yeah. then I guess Catalan is one of the um, the palm languages that uses some sort of mm -hmm. palm word and yeah, yeah. eat, right? Manja or whatever in Italian mm, yeah. and, and Catalan and French. So, yeah, yeah so very interesting. interesting. All right. Now, we are nearing the end of the hour that we have. Before we go, what is your 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 sort of sage advice, your words of wisdom? What is the takeaway you would like the listeners to have? Um, language related, language learning related. In in what sense? Like... Yeah, just a takeaway. What's what's your sort of words of wisdom? Uh, you know, you've gone from being totally isolated, doing all Italian right. all the time to volunteering, you've done some, you know, you're a mod now on the refold community, you're quite active on voice chat. Um, it could be related to not isolating yourself, it can be related yeah. to getting out of your comfort zone and not going down the route of just learning all of the related languages, any sort of yeah. any sort of advice you'd like for the listeners to take away. So I would definitely say the, the not, not the isolated part, uh, language is something that is, First of all, spoken and of course written too, but it's it's a method of communication. It's a it's a means to an end. It's it can be the object of study, and 
you know, us interested in language, um, of course, it's very interesting in, in, of a, in and of itself. But it's also important to remember that there's a whole population that speaks it. And it's a con you should consider, uh, this is a, something I'm telling myself now, as I'm trying to find my next language, my next major language that I want to settle down with, um, that you should really consider um, how how much you think you're like the culture. It's hard to know before you learn the language, but would you want to integrate into that culture? Would you want to be a part of that linguistic sphere? I think these are important questions rather to, to ask yourself before you decide, okay, this is going to be my life for the next couple of years. I'm just going to start immersing. Luckily, it worked out with Italian. Like, I didn't really have any um, specific goals and and I almost dropped it multiple times, but I'm like, I might as well keep going. And I'm very glad I did because it culminated in something really great for me. But, and I got lucky. Um, had I chosen another language, you know, maybe I would have regretted it. And I don't want anyone to regret learning a language. I've heard of people regretting learning Japanese, like Matt, but then they come to terms with it. So it's just better to avoid this step altogether, in my opinion, and to kind of remind yourself, okay, like I'm putting all this time and effort in, um, is it worth it? Is, is this going to, is this something I really want to have for me for the rest of my life? You know, these are important reflections in my opinion. So, yeah. <clears throat> all right. And Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you and thank you for everything you do for the community, for helping out with the Italian community, the Italian deck. Yeah. And yeah, I'll see you around. Yeah. Have a good day. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Refold Podcast. If you're watching the live premiere, you're in luck. Right as it ends, we have an after party over on the Refold Central Discord server. Come join us by using refold.link forward slash join and chat about the episode. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, you can find older episodes to listen to on YouTube and Spotify. Let us know what you thought about the video by liking and leaving a comment below. Do you have suggestions for upcoming visitors or requests for particular topics? Please feel free to reach out to me on Discord at georgepig hashtag 5413 or via email at clayton at refold.la. Thank you all for watching and or listening, and I'll see you next week.